Episode. Wait, are we episode uh, three? three? <laughs> <laughs> I have a wine opener. I was going to click it. I don't know why this is right here. <laughs> I don't know why it's in my office. True right to form. Here. Is this episode three technically? Or yeah, four? we're episode three. Okay. Cool. Do your little. I think you should do your little wine opener thing. Okay. Three. I don't know if people yeah. will see it. One. Episode three. What a beautiful start to the third episode of No Bad Shots. Alyssa Charleston, Stephen Madison. We actually have a guest this time around. You don't just have to hear Stephen and I talk, even though hopefully you're not sick of us yet, because like I said, this is only our third episode ever. But we have a Vandal great and someone who is really relevant right now. He's an NBA assistant coach, Landon Tatum. We get into all the things and he kicks it off with a really funny story about Steven. <laughs> like right always off the up, bat. Always ends up on me. Come on. Come on. <laughs> no, that's well, funny. when you make yourself an easy target, Steven, what can I say? Always. But he's awesome. And uh you guys yeah. are really gonna love the interview and it should be a lot of fun for sure. Yes, 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 yes. But before we get to all that, we gotta talk about uh a little NBA first. Should we talk playing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously with Landon being part of the Wizards and the you know, the Wizards being in the tenth spot in the East. And with the new setup, how the NBA is set up with the playing game, it's perfect to kick it off with some NBA talk. Yeah. And obviously, we know the bubble was kind of like the start of the play-in tournament, not really playing game to get into the playoffs. The nine plays the 10, the seven plays the eight, and then whoever wins the nine, 10 has to play the loser of the seven, eight, so on and so forth. But LeBron James has been critical and then initially really liked the plan last year was like let him play let him play it out until we find a winner and then this year since he's about to be in the play-in game not as much of a fan of it yeah it is funny how he he kind of i think he made those comments like a couple weeks ago and they were like slowly sliding down the scale from like <laughs> yeah. like fourth fifth sixth, and then now they're in the seventh spot and now they're going to end up in it and well there's still a couple games left. I think there's like five games left in the NBA season. But I think they should be a little bit worried. Facing the Warriors in a game situation is not the ideal thing. I think in a seven-game situation, the Lakers are a way better team than them. But playing Steph in one game, who knows what he can do, and your season could be trending in the wrong way. At least they'd have a chance. He is. Yeah, at least they have a chance, though, even if they do lose the game or what, what happens, they can still play in this. The nine or 10 has to beat them twice. Right. But it is funny that LeBron makes those comments and now they're in it. Yeah. Saying whoever created the playing game should be fired. He's dealing with an ankle injury that he said he thinks he's going to deal with the rest of his career. AD Anthony Davis isn't looking super healthy. Yeah. Did you see that in your confused face? Like he said, no, he no. Thinks he's going to be dealing with this ankle injury. Well, what? His, his career is just, it's like, I mean, a couple of years. So, I mean, <laughs> you never know. He could be TB 12 method and play another 10. I guess. I mean, what? He's on air, year 18 and he's 36. So, yeah, yeah that is true. He could look like in the way he looked. Yeah. Right. Like so, um, the good thing, the, the thing that makes what Landon is up to right now super interesting is the Wizards have struggled the past couple of years, but right now they're looking good. At one point, right before they lost last night, um, they had won like 15 of their last 19. You've got Russell Westbrook breaking Oscar Robertson's triple double record. We talk about Russell Westbrook and like what it's like coaching him. Um, because we have a perception of him as, you know, who he is volume shooter shoots a lot, sometimes doesn't shoot a ton of great shots, but there are no bad shots on this podcast. We know that. Um, 
We talked to him about just the team chemistry and, you know, Bradley Beal, they're trending upwards and it's a really fun time to watch the Wizards. I knew Rui Hachimura, covered Rui Hachimura with Gonzaga. He's doing really well for them. So uh, DC is having some exciting basketball moments right now. Yeah, and like uh, uh, we were talking about before, uh, these playing games, when it comes down to a team that has scores and the ability to score the ball at a high rate, it really benefits them. So someone like the Wizards or playing the 9-10 right now would be Indiana versus the Wizards. That's not someone that Indiana wants to run into right now. You have a guy like Bradley Beal that can put up 50 any night. You have a guy like Russell Westbrook that pushes the tempo and will attack you all night. Triple-double, 30-point triple-doubles. You got Rui. They got shooters. I mean, they're just a scary combination to to meet in a playing game. And, you know, they can make some noise in the playoffs. And it's really interesting. It's awesome to talk with Landon about, like, that whole situation and how how his job has evolved there for sure. Yeah. And we talk about, like, offenses and how complicated it is. We talk about Don Verlin back in the coaching days and, like, those crazy binders that he would hold up and, like, the play <laughs> calls and, like, not him, but, like, the assistant coaches yeah. and yeah. how tricky you guys had it because, like, I thought we had some plays and an extensive playbook. You guys were – you had to memorize a lot and then think about a lot during the game. Yeah, it was – it's definitely a learning curve for sure when you uh, yeah. step on the Idaho court. For sure. But, um, yeah, it was awesome to talk with him. And um, how about we talk about a little bit of the uh, what's going on in the baseball before we hop into that interview with Landon? All these no hitters, pitchers are dominating this year. It's nuts. Why is that? Do you have an insight on this? So, well, I know that they were like trying to make the baseball, the actual baseball, lighter this year because we know they've made adjustments in the past, and like we've seen, you know, hitters dominate the game and like tons of home runs. Like I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but right now this year's offense has been slower than any other April and May from 2010 until right now. So I think we checked. There's been five no hitters so far this season, which is wild in baseball. And I like outside of like a lighter ball, a lighter baseball, maybe. Um, I don't, I don't know, like maybe the COVID season, like less reps, like less, you know, you had less, fewer games last year. I don't know. Yeah. But it seems like hitting is something that you do all the time as a baseball player. Anyways, you know what I mean? I feel like, yeah. I mean, it's the same but with baseball, I guess. situation. Yeah. True. True. And like fish fa facing different types of pitchers, different types of styles. But like you mentioned, yeah. Because didn't they tighten the ball, like the the threads on the ball, the seams, uh, the seams a couple years ago, and they were hitting all the home runs, and then like Verlander was pissed off because the ball's all messed up, and they're hitting home runs, and then now they're making the ball lighter, and it's harder to hit. Constantly <laughs> messing with it, keeping us on our toes. I think they like they, the stitches were thicker, too. Yeah. Like, you could see them. It, things have changed so much. It's like, how many rules do we need to change? How many things do we need to? I don't know. Because it need makes it harder for everybody. They need you gotta hitting. Have hitting for, yeah. Baseball's not like, fun. Would you, yeah. Not so fun. would you agree? Like you have to have hitting, you, you have to have offense, better offense means more eyes, more exciting to watch than good pitching. Yeah. Let the steroids flow. Let them, just, <laughs> we need the best. I Inject I, baseball with some excitement. But that's, I used to be a, like, not a baseball purist, but I was a huge baseball fan <laughs> as a kid, huge baseball fan. And yeah. it was in that era of, you know, the steroids. Mark McGuire. Yeah. yeah. I went to the Home Run Derby in 2001 in Seattle. I, I, got, I got a chance to go to it because Safeco was just built. I think it was 2001 or 2002. It was one of those years. And I got to watch the Home Run Derby. And that's when I was the biggest fan of baseball. And obviously, that was the last time the Mariners went to the playoffs. And I was actually at their last game 
when they lost to the Yankees as a little kid. I was up in the up in the bleachers on left field. So you saw the heartbreak in person, whereas yeah. everybody else has just experienced exactly. It. And I was little, but and they haven't made it since, which is crazy. But th- those were the like glory years. I feel like baseball has just steadily declined because there's just all this. They just don't want to excite the game. They don't want the game to be exciting. People even, yeah, it's just I don't know. There, baseball has so many unwritten rules, and like the, I think some of them make it more fun, like with the, you know, like. Uh, pine tar pretty much everybody so many people use it but you don't talk about it or like the bat flip stuff obviously the most important like who cares flip your like bat fernando tatis jr bringing some life back into it like i don't know when you talk about baseball purists though like that's why people don't like it is that it takes away the respect of the game but that's when it's exciting i mean but Back in the day, like was Sammy Sosa flipping his bat? Was Mark McGuire flipping his bat? Mark McGuire wasn't. I don't think. I know, but their juices all runs out of the yard all the time. <laughs> so that's what makes it exciting. Like that's true. I just, you know what I mean. So it's like if if I go dunk on someone, you're gonna give them a, a like in the NBA. They they look them down, they stare them down, they do something like taunt them a little bit, and it makes it exciting. It makes it fun. Baseball, you hit a home run, you're supposed to just set your bat down and run, and don't look at the pitcher. He might, yeah, yeah, he might flip you off or something, but. Don't just, stare too long. Yeah, like man, point at it with your bat and then flip it. Like you know what? I just, <laughs> I just hit a home run off you. Like get better. <laughs> I do like Trevor Bauer's attitude when it comes to that. Like, yeah, then don't let it happen. Like he's a pitcher, and if Fernando Tatis is going to do his thing, like and show you off, show you up, don't let him hit a home run off you. But it's as a pitcher, that's tough to do. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like, just like if you're a basketball player, you're going to get dunked on. If you're playing hard, you're in the right spot, you're going to get dunked on. It's just, it's just part of the game. Totally. But it's just like, we can't, people just take it so offensive in baseball. And I'm just like, dude. And I get like all the unwritten rules, like, don't walk across the mound when you get out. Like, you know, when people mm-hmm. get out at first, they walk back to the dugout, they cut right in front. It's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what'd you do? You just broke the pitcher's concentration for a half a second. Like, you can't get locked back in. Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> Those little True. things, just just yeah. baseball. I don't know. Not baseball really. is different in that way. It is unique for that reason. But it's losing people. It's losing people. Yeah, it is losing fans and the pace of play, all that stuff is going to be interesting to watch. Um, anything else about MLB? It's the Mariners' year once again. That's all I know. Uh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it? I hope. Uh, that's what we Your always say. Is good. Uh, I feel like I've heard that a million times too, but yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Well, how about we uh, hop into this interview with Landon and uh, hope you guys enjoy. Before we hop into this interview with Landon Tatum, I want to announce a new sponsorship to the podcast. Shout out this sponsorship because it's our first and everything that's first is memorable. So (laughs) thank you to theeverydayfan.com for joining the No Bad Shots podcast and supporting us. And I want you guys to go support them. So Go check out their one-stop shop for all your sporting sh- sporting news, whether it is the NBA, NFL, or the EPL League, they have you covered, but they do not stop there. From pop culture to wrestling and entertainment, there's something for everyone. With some of the best writers in the game, come get a fresh perspective from the everyday fan like yourself. While you're there also, go check out their memorabilia shop. It is unbelievable. They have so much gear, so much cool stuff. You can make your man cave one to envy, and that is at theeverydayfan.com. Go check them out. Shout out, Everyday Fan. We are so pumped to welcome on former Idaho Vandal point guard 
and current assistant coach, player development, Washington Wizards, Landon Tatum. Landon, it has been a while. I think the last time I saw you, it was in Moscow. How are you? Probably was in Moscow, actually. Uh, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm out here in the East Coast now, Washington, D.C. feel like I've been able to live in a lot of different places from Texas, you know, Idaho, of course, and now D.C. I'm getting a little bit of taste of every single region, it feels like, so far. Moscow has to be the best, right? <laughs> you know, right? it was so good. No, I went back. You know, it was so good. I went back. I went back a second time after I left there. <laughs> I think we all That's have. Right. I think we all have here. So, uh <laughs> Two it's, times. <laughs> it's really interesting for sure. Man. How much do you not miss Steven? That's what I want to know. I was the best oh, teammate of all time. Well, I Come actually on. do miss Steven because when he was, you know, I was older when Steven got there. So oh. I got to see him like grow up a lot oh. as like being like, <laughs> The high school kid that really didn't like do much of anything. You got to like see him come in like from off the bench to like all of a sudden being like the leading scorer of the team, like making the whack championship, if I remember right. Like it was man, watching all that and like watching him grow in that sense was like awesome. It it was rough it was a rough start. I mean, there was those days that uh, <laughs> I was I was the punching bag for the coaches and everybody else, but uh Oh, big time punching. I, you know what? I still remember. I think it was your freshman year and it was New Year's. Oh, bro. I was just thinking that in my head. I was just thinking this yes. exact thing. We actually hung out with the girls' team that night. We First did. of all, we did at Sheridan's Frat. Which we I'll never did. Like, we, you yes. and I, our teams, like, never hung out until that, like, winter break. But yeah, go yeah. ahead and tell the story. And I remember, like, oh, I mean, I don't want to say he got plastered, but, like, he yes. was gone. <laughs> And we had and we had practice the next day and like he was just he couldn't do anything right. <laughs> it was it was it was embarrassing. It was bad. That was probably one of my worst moments of practice of my whole career. Like it was bad. I was I was in a dumpster. It, Literally man. my head was in the trash can. And he and like coach knew and like he just yeah. kept making us run and like Steven was struggling. <laughs> But it, it definitely was a growing process for sure, man. Those and I always actually look back and I tell people, like your guys' leadership. I mean, just having the veterans that we had that those freshman year. I mean, it grew our team and helped the program grow for sure. That was one of the biggest things. I mean, obviously, Verlin being new, and then you guys coming in and being there and showing us young guys how it was done. It it it, it trended the program in the right way for sure. Right. Like it was. And I mean, even for myself when I first got there, you know. Having guys like Mac Hobson, who I know you know, yeah. like even Kashif, Marvin Jefferson, like all those dudes, like my redshirt year, like it was big and vital, kind of like seeing how everything kind of needs to go and then trying to help propel like the program to get where it needed to be. And then, you know, it also helps out because the girls team was really good and you just kept <laughs> seeing them win. It felt like every oh. year you just see them like get better and better and better. Like that was that was good to see, too. It's like it's healthy competition because you want to be just as good as them. You know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, I but, so appreciate a shout out. Thanks. Hey, <laughs> hey I got you. I got you. <laughs> hey, so Landon, I know you got a chance to play a little bit professional, and then you make the transition to coaching. I, I don't even remember. I don't think coaching, that wasn't something that you were planning on doing after college, was it? I had zero interest in coaching. Exactly. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> so it, t t talk to us about that. Like, So you made the transition from playing pro. I know you played, I think it was Germany, right? You were in Germany for a little bit, and then I, you know, I see you on the coaching staff at Idaho, and then I, I, it just was kind of surprising. And then you've been able to work your way into a job here. Tell us basically just the timeline and the the story of that. Man, it's crazy because I remember my dad was always pushing me. He's like, "Man, you should coach." 
And I'm like, Dad, I can't deal with egos like that. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty, like, quiet dude, kind of, like, to myself and things like that. I, was, I don't know if I could do egos and all that. You know, so I played in Germany for a year. And then, you know, in the transition, like you guys know, like trying to figure out what you want to do next, you know, Verlin had called and asked if I wanted to take a spot on his coaching staff. And that was kind of like the decision of like, you know, do I want to keep playing or do I want to coach? And, you know, at that time it was like, you know, I might as well try to do something else, see what happens. You know, worst case, maybe you get an opportunity to play while you're coaching. You can still leave because that's what a lot of people were doing, especially at that time. Like, it felt like coach would have a job, and the next thing you know, they're, like, gone halfway through the year because that's what happened the year I took over. A guy had left, like, two weeks before the season started, you know? So I took it and ended up being there with uh, Connor Hill's senior year, which that was an interesting thing in itself because Connor was a freshman my senior year. Seeing him grow up, you know, Mike Scott was there. as I think he was a senior. Suki Wiggs was just becoming a sophomore. Perry and Callen Drett, you know, and Arcadi McCurchin. Who I, I mean, funny story is the first time I get back on campus and I see, I walk into like the locker room. I called Ar- Arcadia uh, Connor. I was like, Connor, damn, you got big. And he turned around. I was like, oh, shoot. Man, I, I got those two confused the first time. Shout out to Arc. Shout out to Arc. He's a good Shout dude. out to Arc. He is one of my favorite guys. I, I love Arc. Talk, talks right. heavy on defense. He's, he's a loud talker. He was a, he's a good uh, He's a good teammate to have for sure. Yeah, I love Dark. Even like great dude to be around. But, you know, I stayed there for a year. And then, you know, with my fiance, who I met actually when I was still playing, you know, our year ended at Idaho. And I just kind of decided to make the transition to be with her. Because that time she was in law school at, in Georgetown in D.C. And I just moved up here, you know, still somewhat in shape. Not like I'm not in shape anymore. I can tell you that. But <laughs> I was like, man, I was playing like every day at her law school. And this so happened like a guy I was playing with asked what I did. And I told him I was just looking for a job. And he connected me with a guy named Ramon Penny here in D.C. I had like a I don't even want to say an impromptu interview because it was really just meeting the guy. Like he didn't it wasn't like he was a guy really looking to place me. But I decided to just be talking to him through a mutual friend. And he called me like the very next day. It was like, hey, there's like an opening as a team attendant for the Washington Wizards, which essentially is like a ball boy. And I was like, you know, I'll do it, whatever. You know, I did it first game. The equipment manager at the time, Jerry Walter, was like, hey, you want to come back? We play this team from Brazil, Bayrou, tomorrow. I was like, all right, I'll do it again. So I did it. And he's like, hey, if you want to have the job for the rest of the season, you can do it. So I did that for a whole year when Randy Whitman was the coach. And then that fall, that same year, Randy Whitman got let go and Scott Brooks came in that summer and he kept me on as a basically a video a assistant video, you know, with some help from David Atkins, a player development coach who had been around the whole time I was a team attendant and actually allowed me to be in workouts and things like that. And basically ever since I've just been blessed enough to move up every year. That's so cool. And for like people who watch on TV, the NBA has so many assistant coaches like that. The staffs are really growing. How hard is it to stay on an NBA staff? Like how much harder is it even compared to college and like kind of working your way up? You know, it's just so different because you have, like you said, so many coaches, you have coaches that are just for offense coaches that are just for defense. And you have quite a few coaches that are doing player development, you know, guys on court workouts and things like that. And I mean, it's tough because you got to basically continue to learn, especially as a younger coach that's never, of course, played in the NBA. You know, like you have to make sure like 
you have to gain players' respects and coaches' respects of that. Sometimes it's through, you know, being able to be on the court with players. Sometimes it's just knowing your X's and O's. And sometimes it's just being able to have personal relationships with guys, you know. So, I mean, it's pretty competitive, to be honest. How long How long do you think it took you to, to gain that respect? Because like you said, not being a player that played in the NBA, obviously guys look at that. And it's sometimes, you know, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. It's obviously not always the right situation to look at someone like that. But, like, how long did that take? Because I know with some guys it takes longer than others, and it, it can be a difficult process. Well, you know, for me, I think it helped out that I've been with the same team for almost six years now. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of our guys, our main guys, have been here since I've been here. Nice. But, you know, back then, you know, that was, what, five or six years ago, you know, I could still play, you know, and being that I could still play and move pretty well, like, you get a couple buckets on guys consistently, you know, they start respecting that, oh, this guy actually knows how to play. He's not just out there, you know? So, so. You're, you're, like, playing with these guys, too? Like, you're mixing up with them? Is that how oh, you yeah. help we'll, it? We'll, we'll legit go, like, one-on-one and two-on-two, like, three-on-three at times. Or if, like, we had guys that were hurt, you get thrown into practice from time to time to have to go in there for a guy just to make it make it a run. I mean, you have a couple solid outings with them. With them, they usually respect you pretty quick. That, okay, that is, I have to ask. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go start, Lisa. Well, I'm going to talk because you guys have been killing it as of late, the Wizards. I mean, at one point, I think two or three days ago, it was like you've won 15 in your last 19. You get Russ this year, Russell Westbrook. What has it been like seeing this streak and seeing him do what he's doing, you know, breaking Oscar Robertson's record and like that just like being around someone like him? Because he's we know he's got an ego for sure. You have to be like confident to do what he's doing. What's it been like? Man, it's been awesome to be honest. You know, I know the media like, for, like portraying to be a certain way. Like, he is like all team, all togetherness, all about playing hard, being tough. Like in all honesty, you know, being able to witness it last night here in Atlanta. Like the way I honestly thought that shot was gonna fall, the way the, the game was going, and it just felt like, you know, the storybook ending. Like he's gonna end the game. You know, didn't bounce our way, but being able to see him do it on a night in, night out basis. Like you just see how hard this dude plays every single game because like it's not like the rebounds are just falling to him like he legit goes and gets them you know and he just plays with such a tenacity every single night like you just respect it and i mean i'm just glad to be around him to be honest have you ever seen someone obviously you've been in the nba now for five or six years have you seen someone that is at his level of like stardom that is so team oriented i feel like that's it's hard to find nowadays especially someone of his talent and like the way you're talking about him now have you have you ever seen anything like that you know, it's tough to say it because you're obviously me, on the side of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's always hard because, you know, of course, like to me, like Brad's always been a team guy. He's just mm-hmm. now really starting to get a lot more recognition. It's just that when you see a guy that's been like an MVP of the league for at least once and, you know, doing all this, you never know what to expect when they first get here, you know, but being able to see him like up close and personal on a daily basis and the way he goes about things. And he's not like he's an unapproachable guy. Like, he'll talk to everybody and treat everybody the same, you know. So, I mean, I got nothing for respect for him. Does it really feel like the team is, like, really continuing to to get better and better with these guys being mixed in and, like, Rui's killing it? You know, Bradley obviously had dropped 50 the other night. Does it feel like – I mean, I know we've, we've, talk, we've talked, like, the last couple of years when you guys are on a rough streak, like, before the bubble. You know, yeah. like, it's, it's not easy to – when you play so many games and you're losing – now it's like you guys are you're really seeing the fruits of your labor i think for us it helped out we got healthy you know Mm -hmm. we really you know for us it felt like every time you start to hit like a 
you feel like, okay, we're turning the corner. Something would happen. You know, we had the big COVID thing happen for us, which I think we were the first team to really get hit with it. We were out like two weeks, couldn't do anything, you know, and then you basically get thrown in the fire right out the gate on the road trip with like three really tough games at that time, you know, and then I think we had a couple of injuries halfway through the second half of the season. And it just feels like now, like we're actually healthy with everybody here. And I think everybody's playing with a lot of confidence. Definitely. Also, if you could give us a little insight on Scott Brooks and like his coaching style, he's always been someone that's obviously had to, you know, going from OKC with Kevin Durant and Russ, and then now to the Wizards and getting Russ. Like talk to us about how his coaching style and just things that you've been able to learn from him. You know, with him, I've learned that you got to be personable with everybody, you know, and it's interesting because him and Russ, you know, they both basically, you know, Coach Brooks coached him in Oklahoma City. And I don't want to say they have the same mindset, but they kind of do. Like, they're both really personable with everybody. They'll talk to everybody. They're both tough. You know, shoot, Coach, we used to have like a two-on-two game with Coach, me and Coach Brooks with two of our other staffers. Like, every game, he was competitive. And he he was physical. He was on my team, though, so. I mean, I'm not going to say he would cheat to win at times, but, you know, a win is a win. But, like, just being able to learn, like, you know, being personal with everybody, but just having the team take on the identity of the coach, too. And I think that's what we've also done pretty well. You know, Coach was a tough player back when he played. And, you know, that's kind of how he coaches. But he's also really personal with everybody. I want to ask you guys, both of you guys, this, because it was kind of a, a thing my senior year, junior year, a little bit, and it's totally in the league, like guys that really, really are successful usually have like a Kobe mentality or kind of like that Mamba mentality that you have to be a little bit selfish and you have to be confident in a way that like nobody else is. And for you, like you're probably seeing that with Russ, even though he is a total team player portrayed to the media, portrayed to like the rest of the country, he's he's got a confidence that can't really be rocked. For me, like it was my senior year with Stacey Barr. She was like, we knew we needed her to win games like she was going to be a scorer at the elite level do you guys have players that like but it wasn't always easy to play with so i'm curious if you guys believe that like to be kind of like a cold-blooded killer dominant mvp kind of player do you feel like you need that crazy confidence and is it like hard to play with that too uh i I can i can kind of answer it i mean i was uh Honestly, kind of a dickhead my senior year because I wanted the ball and knew knew, knew, knew knew in certain situations like we needed me to score. And so I would sometimes get mad at my teammates like, hey, give me the damn ball. Like if we go through a drought and I don't touch the ball for a couple possessions, it would irritate me because I knew that I needed to be the one to get the shot up to give us the best chance. And so sometimes it would it would come off as me being an asshole sometimes. But then, I, you know, people appreciate it when you're obviously winning and you're able to do it as a team. Yeah. It wasn't like. I was an asshole all the time. Like, that's just not me. But there's a little bit of that for sure, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you got, I, I think in order to be successful, you got to have a little bit of that mentality. You know what I mean? Especially if you're looking even going from high school to college. Like, and I think that's what helped Steven out too, was he had that mentality as a freshman. And he yeah. basically <laughs> had to dial it back because he wasn't going to play over the dudes that were ahead of him, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. But without that confidence, like, he may not have been able to have as solid of a freshman year and the jump he made from his freshman to sophomore year may not have been as good. But I think in general, like, to me, most every good player has that sort of uh, mentality. It may not be as extreme as others, but yeah. in order to really be successful, you have to have that sort of mentality. It is it yeah. is interesting, though, like that. Um, even, like, Vic Sanders, 
me and him, like, if you look at us, our freshman years, we both averaged like four points or whatever it was. Like, y'all were identical because I was yeah. there when Vic Sanders was a freshman. Oh yeah, it, it, exactly. And he had that mentality, and he and he had it when I knew him in high school because he was at Jefferson. And I used to go back and play those guys, and it's like, you know that. But then you get into certain situations, like you said, there's people in front of you. But then when your time is to shine, it's still there, and that's when it starts to it starts to come out even more, and that's when you know you start to dominate games and certain. Yeah, aspects of it. shout out, shout out, Vic Sanders too, because as a freshman, like I know he had his growing pains for sure too. Like it was interesting being there, seeing him, and comparing him to Steven. Like it was like those yeah. two is similar, really similar. <laughs> and he's a legend. He's all, he's an unbelievable basketball player for real. Great scorer. Both of you guys. Yeah were great scorers and he was pretty humble too. Like I remember we, I covered him when I was in Spokane at KXLY and he was playing it at Idaho still. And like, I didn't know what kind of personality he would have, but he would like dominate. I think he had like 30 or something against Eastern. And then he was so like kind and gregarious afterward, which is, I don't know that, that part is just kind of interesting to me because Landon, now that you're in NBA, you're around all the guys that are the best players in the world. So it's like, how do you, have you had problems where there are people like competing egos and you're like, you have to simmer them down or is everyone kind of like a professional at that level? You know, for the most part, everybody's pretty professional. And I think that can be the hardest part about the NBA is like, you have to try to get the whole team to buy into a team concept and not an I concept because, yeah. you know, I know the other podcast, uh, Steve was talking about the G League, but that is cutthroat. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like, and I think that's probably one, like you talk about one of the hardest jobs to me, that could be one of the hardest jobs to be a head coach in the G League because trying to get a group of guys to buy into a team aspect, knowing that being an individual and having some pretty solid stats helps you get a call up, that's hard, you know, and then the travel is way worse. You know, it's, that's a rough life. It's but. like worse than college. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just, wor- it's like, it's, it's so unbelievably cut though. Like, no one cares about anyone else besides themselves in that league. And that's like what the league's been basically made to be. So it's it, it, like you said, it's, it's incredibly tough. Yeah. Which makes me curious about, you know, like obviously with college, like we all had experiences with college. We all played overseas. So we know kind of the difference between college and pro with all the things that are being offered to like high school kids now, like, a, you know, Jalen Green deciding to stop playing at Duke and then, other guys that like decide to go to the G league and we don't even know their names instead of going to college, like kind of wanting both of your perspectives on that. Now that Landon, you coach in the NBA, is it helpful? Like we know the names in the rest of the media, the world. Does that matter though, when it comes to playing in the NBA, is it, is it better to play in the college system or better to jump into the G league? I think it's kind of, it's tough, you know, cause I didn't really get to see a whole lot of the G league stuff going on. Like I knew about, you know, first I knew about team ignite and things like that, but yeah, I think it's tough because at the end of the day, you know, it goes back to when I was in school, you know, taking all the journalism classes, like it's one of the only like athletes in the class and the <laughs> main topic that comes up is should athletes be paid. Yeah. And it's just like, you just hear people just getting, you just hear the athletes getting killed. And I'd be like the <laughs> only one in there. And, you know, so it's like, it's a, it's like a double-edged sword. Like, I kind of understand, like, if I was a high school kid like like that, I'd be going to the G League Ignite, too, you know? But I also understand why people would want to go to college. That's kind of hard for me to really give an answer on it because, I mean, if you're good, they'll find you in my case. But at the same time, if you mm-hmm. want to make some money early, you got to do what's best for you. Exactly. Like like you said, most of these guys that are first-round picks, they go one and done. They're only going to school for three, four months, whatever it is, maximum. They're they're done. They literally drop out of school. They're done. 
But it's like the exposure thing, especially this year with how the G League was a little weird. There wasn't as much exposure. Like they would have, I'd be seeing G League highlights at like 12 o'clock in the middle of the day of these guys dunking and playing. I'm like, oh, I, I'm not going to have a chance to watch the game. Like I'm doing stuff. So it is weird because then like Jalen Green comes out with that statement saying, if I went to college, I would have been the first pick over Cade Cunningham because people actually would have known who I was, mm-hmm. which there might be truth to that because obviously you do see the highlights of him and it's like, wow, this guy's unbelievable. But then you get to see probably 20 of Cade Cunningham's games on TV or whatever. And then the yeah. NCAA tournament and all that, even Mobley, even Suggs, same type of thing. But then it comes back to like, I'm getting $500,000. I get to live in LA. I'm playing with a group of young guys. I got a good coach. It, it, it's hard to deny that to like an 18 year old that's not set on college and just kind of the way the college was with COVID too is, is very unpredictable. So it'll right. be interesting to see going forward what happens with it. But I think we're going to see more people doing that. I do. I, I just, but it's, it's yeah. the same thing the other way. The, so the guard on the ignite was a guy from Anchorage. His name's Deshaun Nix. Yep. I have, and the two kids I coach on my team in Spokane are friends with him. They're from Anchorage and they know him really well. And there's things like him talking about, he was supposed to go to UCLA, full ride to UCLA. He was like set to go to UCLA, backed out, went G League. And even him, he was supposed to be like a first round pick coming into the season and just did average on the G League team, did whatever, like 10 points, six assists. And it's like, well, what if he was on UCLA's Final Four team and averaged 17 and 10 or something? Then is he going to end up being a lottery pick? So there's like there's balancing it, and I think yeah. it gets really sticky. And like Landon said, it's it's hard to tell. Everyone has their own situation, in my opinion, and it's hard to like judge who's is right and who's wrong. Yeah, because either either choice you take, there's a risk. You yeah, know what I mean, like that's kind of the hard part about it. Like you're just taking a risk at whichever one you choose. May, neither one may be right, but whatever you feel is right for yourself, I think you just have to do. Yeah, and it's just interesting that like as an NBA evaluator, like how do you guys kind of block out the noise of the rest of the country? Like, do you guys strictly look at film and stats and like not worry about what other people say about, because we hear so much more about Cade Cunningham. There's so much more analysis on Cade Cunningham because you get to see more of his games and his name. See, for me, I don't, I'm since I'm not on that like side of it, I really don't know how they look at it. I'm just a guy like, you know, we might have like a draft workout then I'm help mm-hmm. either run the workout or help with it, and the guy kind of comes comes into it. You know, like I of course watch different games, you know, things like that. So you might know a little bit about them, but in terms of like any sort of like deep, in depth like analysis on the guy, like it's gonna kind of just be more face value because you're more worried about the NBA team, you know, the whole season than you are like the cop kid in college. At least for my own thing, because as a coach, like you got to coach the guys you got, not the guys that might be there in the future. Yeah. Either way, it's it's still a tough evaluation process as it is. I mean, the yeah, amount of guys sure. that get drafted, like, I mean, it's endless the amount of lottery picks that just don't end up working or it's just not the right fit. It's just kind of, it's almost a crapshoot as it is already, yeah. which, make, which makes it difficult because, like you said, a lot of things come into play, like system, the guy's type fit. Like, he could look great in a workout, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to fit your guys' system or fit, fit the coach's style or mesh with the players as well like it's it's right. just it's, it's tough it's definitely tough and that's why the nba is a lead of the elite too it's it's a tough league to make for sure yeah definitely i want to know some don verlin stories and how much he impacted like who both of you guys are because the other thing is before i get any stories i'll give you guys a second to think about it um 
the there's a proposed rule that will allow coaches to have laptops and like tablets on the bench for college. <laughs> and you already know I'm because I don't think I ever saw coaches and assistant coaches so aggressively hold up like a binder and like plays <sighs> like Verlin did, like all the you know, a Verlin staff obviously, and you guys have both been a part of that, like having to flip through pages and like hold up like and as a player, like looking over and making sure you see it. I think that's so interesting. So like is that going to change with like tablets and and stuff like that? I'm I'm curious to see. But what did you guys think of that system alone? And was it like from the coaching side and from the player side having like binders and like numbers and pay- I know other teams do it, but it was really aggressive on the Idaho bench and it was funny. Let me just say this first: it ain't just looking at the card; it's knowing who the hot guy was. Yeah, like because we had two sets of cards and we had a hot coach every game, and it may not be the same one. So if you didn't know who the hot coach was, especially as a point guard. Yeah, because yeah. you definitely had some guys out there that didn't know half the plays and didn't know who the hot guy was. You had the ball at half court, and you knew the guy didn't know what we were running. Like that was, it was rough. Just it a blank rough. stare. Yeah, and, especially but, if, you're not, if you're not on the same page. <laughs> it was well. I mean, when I was coaching, I was the hot coach, but that's just you know. Okay. No. I mean, the hot guy. Um, who was the what? Are, what are the what's that? Position? It would switch. It would switch. Yeah. Would we switch, switch what, is, what is? Yeah. Is he the one that like calls the main play? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Oh. So, okay. We'll flip two cards. So let's say we're playing Utah State and they know all of our plays. What? What? Once you play in the league for a while, the team starts to know our plays, the yeah. names of it, and everything. So we just have two sets, and sometimes we would even put cards up on the other side that meant. That one's the hot one. So if that makes sense. So so you had to be on top of it. You had to be on top of it. So if guys couldn't figure it out, they're not playing. And that was the thing about our system. Oh yeah. If you messed up a play, you're gone. You're out. Out. You are out. And skeleton. Like people don't realize, like when you when we talk when you see um what's a movie, semi pro and they run puke with uh (laughs) in that that is how we ran skeleton. A hundred percent no defense. Just our plays, a hundred like as fast as possible. Watch the group in front of you. Watch the group in front of you, and I still say that to people <laughs> today. Like, it it was unbelievable, and like I, I actually wanted to get your opinion on that, Landon. I know we had a really complex offense, but like, how can you compare that to like the offense you guys run in the NBA type offense? Man, uh, it's different in a sense, but it's it's so interesting because I even sometimes I'll even go back honestly and go and look. And I'll be like, man, this play actually like really worked and Works. stuff like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. as like, and you know, Grant, like the timing was different because you know we had all we had. I don't know how many sets we had. We had so many sets, but like, yeah. and he had thirty seconds to run it. Like it was like, there's no way like you can mess that up, right? But like, if you really go back and you look at it from like a standpoint of like, man, you could get a quick hitter. Like, it's insane to go back and look at some of that stuff. But I think it was also interesting too, like in terms of like when you were like a player and you're choosing a school, like, I think it goes back to like, yo, you have to choose a school that really fits you. And like, for me, Idaho was perfect. Cause in all honesty, I wasn't even planning on signing to Idaho. I was planning on going to, to like Toledo at that time. And then all of a sudden, yeah, before Luciano D'Souza went there, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, the whack at that time was really good, you mm-hmm. know, but the system ended up fitting me perfectly. Cause it was like, okay, well I can, still be the guy to make reads and things like that in an easier offense. You know what I mean? And that's what I did in junior college. So like for me, it was easy. 
But I know for some players, like, that was not an easy offense to run, you know, especially with guys that are like ISO guys and things like that because it was not an ISO – that was not an ISO system and it really wasn't an up-and-down system. It's funny, though, because it – you almost knew like those first open gyms and stuff when the guys would come <laughs> on campus. You knew instantly the guys that like maybe not even make it through the year. And I was I mean, it was almost every year guys were leaving halfway through or whatever yeah. for their first season because you could just tell right away. And I think Verlin did get a little better as, you know, as basketball progressed and guys were different that he kind of adjusted it more to, you know, get a little more ISO situations. I know by the end of my senior year, I was able to do a lot more like different looks and different reads. But, you were also averaging almost 20 points a game. This exactly. It's the same with like Vic. Like I, I remember going back and watching Vic, and I'm like, damn, he's letting him shoot these shots? Like he, he's not letting other people do that. Like, Hey, no lie. Like, that was not one of the options. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it, it definitely – He's not going to be happy about that in film. It is Man. funny, though. It is funny, though, looking back. Because I do the same thing. I go on Synergy, and I look back through those plays, and I just like – there's a, there's a lot of good hitters that you could use in a lot of different ways for from that offense and obviously Verlin's a like offensive genius when it comes to that type of stuff. Yeah, you don't even realize it until like later on, but it was like, man, that stuff was like really working. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> Once you go play pro in Europe and you're like, can we run something? Like, damn, man, you're not telling <laughs> any of these other players here. what to do. <laughs> right. It's so Only funny how it play. takes a while to like really appreciate what you had in college or like if, if you have a good situation, because a lot of people don't have good situations in college or pro, like it, it's crazy that having that kind of structure really benefits you later on. Like with newly, it was really structured too. nowhere near as many plays as you guys had. And thank goodness. Hey, Cause hey, y'all was out there running like dribble weave half the time. Felt like, yeah. Right. That's what it felt like. Yeah. It's like someone forgot something. It's like, all right, let's just run shark. Like let's just, let's do like drive and kick. Regular, regular is what we call it. It's like a motion offense. About to say, what was it, getting Stacy to her right hand? (laughs) Let her go. That's awesome. Yeah. But was there anybody that was like not kicked off, but like initially you guys both knew right away, like this dude's not going to last. Like he can't remember any plays. He's screwing everything up. He's trying to go one on one all the time. Uh, I know someone off the top of my head. I, I think he was on our team. Were you there when Daz was there? Yes, oh, oh, <laughs> hey, first of all, if Daz, I know you're not listening to this, but give me my damn okay. customized Jordans, man. You took all my <laughs> shoes out of the locker when he left. That is, I'm still not happy about that. Oh, no. But that was someone right off the bat. I, I knew on his official, his visit when we played, and he kind of was cooking me in open gym, and I was just like, all right, you're big body me. But then he got out there and couldn't remember a play, and I just – Yo, Daz was like one of the better post scores yeah. I had played with, honestly. Like yes. one yeah. on one, like he was probably scoring like every single time. Yes. And he was a big body. Big you know, body. I don't know if you remember Wendell McKinnis. Like he had that like yes. type of vibe and like Wendell, Wendell killed Mc- us. Man, like <laughs> he killed us. I, to this day, I still talk about Wendell McKinnis. Like you talk about a dude that was like like he was that dude that was like the enforcer that was actually really good. Because, like, yeah. most people weren't going to mess with them. Yeah, he's a neck mean? tat. Yeah. He has a circle tat with open right. on don't his mess neck. With neck and, like, like he, wasn't, he was not messing around on the floor, like, nothing. No. But he was undersized like crazy. Like, I think he's actually playing overseas, or yeah, he was. He was killing it. Like, Who was the guy like, after him? They had back-to-back foremen that were really good. What was the other yeah. guy? Uh, Troy Gillenwater. 
Oh, yeah, he, he was nasty, too. He was nasty, too, and I know he still plays, like, in the Asian leagues, and he's getting paid yeah. a lot of money, but, like, exactly, post scores, undersized. Like, Daz was like that. I just remember his visit. He's, like, whooping my ass and talking shit, and I'm like, all right, man, like, you're doing good versus me. I'm, I'm not even really a four right now. I'm still skinny, <laughs> skinny Steve. And then it just it just didn't work out. And it, I knew right away. I mean, and obviously, being he was pretty negative, and you could just tell that it just wasn't a good fit. Yeah. Steve was still trying to find his way in the weight room. Yeah, well, it was funny. I was just eating myself to a four man, as Coach Murphy yeah. told me. <laughs> <laughs> You're just gonna eat yourself to a well four man. Like, I mean, I remember watching Daz like of scrimmage only, and then Wendell. Like, I would never know that he was a dominant scorer down low. Like, that's the difference yeah. between like college games. Like, you not every good player translates to. I mean, he did like. I feel like I remember him being like a dirty work guy, like a workhorse yeah. kind of guy. Like yeah. he did all the. I don't know. Like, in all seriousness, he might have been one of, like, outside, of course, of, like, KB. Yeah. Like, Dad might have been our best low post scorer. But he just no couldn't. You, you can't remember a play. Yeah. And you throw schemes in, mm -hmm. like, even defensive stuff. Like, people don't realize that. When you, like, a college basketball, like, you have, you're going from the next thing to the next thing of what you got to do. Like, this possession down. You go from the offensive end of running our offense to, okay, now what are we doing on defense? What do I got to do with my guys specifically? What do I got to do as a team specifically? Where do I need to be on the court? And in it, it starts to become like really, really tough for guys. Even, but then there's other guys like Jim, who couldn't and understand well. a defensive scheme at all. Jim, I love uh, first off, first off, shout out Jim. But shout he tried to act like he didn't understand English half the time, <laughs> so he didn't have to do stuff. That's my man. So yes, I love Jim. But yeah. but he made up for it though. He blocked shots like KB yeah. and him. They let like we had the most team blocks of all time at Idaho with them too, and like. He made up for him not being in the right spot, which you can live with as a coach. <laughs> yeah. That but, is so – he pretended not to know English. Like, man, he just – How do you live? What? <laughs> man, he would not want to do anything. So there were some days, like, I said, we were running Ooh. one time. Oh, my gosh. He, he was, like, just purposely not running. I think I got on that big. I was – yes. if yes. anybody knows me, like, I hate running. Yeah. Like, especially, <laughs> like, running for, like, no reason. Like, yes. I still remember, like, the – like that Vandal two mile, like I remember. I don't know if Steve even knows. Like uh, I never made the time ever. I was there. You, we we carried you across, bro. Right? And I was probably behind you, died too. But yes. And they, because you know they used to do it by height. And I remember, like, yo, coach, real talk. Like it doesn't make any sense to do it by height. Like I outweigh half our twos and threes. Like that's and now I mean that's like my in shape. And so, like going into my senior year, he changed it. It was like, well, if you get so many like weight room sessions in, yeah. like you only got to run one. Oh, I was in there every day. Yep. I'm cool with that. Yep. <laughs> I was. Like, oh, I was. Terrifying. I never made a time for the two mile or the mile. I, bro, the two mile is no joke, man. That was. He went <laughs> away from it. Miserable. He we went watched, away from it. Watched from afar. I had night. I had nightmares the night before about that two <laughs> Seriously, mile because I knew if I didn't make it, I had to run it again. Yeah. And I knew I was like, oh, I'm not making this. Like this is not my type of thing. Bro, and then not, and then Nada walks the whole thing. Bro, nah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. So one more story. You probably remember it. Besides the two mile being the worst, worst, worst days. How about the day that we had to do the pad slides in the dome because we weren't counting our sit ups and push ups. That had to. I I looked over at you one time and you were you. It was you. You were halfway stopped because. Being as strong and top heavy as you were, that was that was that was one of the roughest days we had. Period. Man, period. Yeah, that was that was no joke. Like I tell you, like that's what's funny. You know, everybody wants to go D one and all that. 
Yo, D1, <laughs> well, that will really make you wonder if you really want to hoop, play football, whatever. Because there's those days in condition where you'd be like, man, is this really for me? Man, yeah, that was... <laughs> that was Sheridan's I, first day. That was Sheridan's first was day. Sheridan's and he was throwing day. up. And, <laughs> and like Jake was like... Come on, like she's yelling at him. Come on, Keep walk going. on. Like yelling at him and he's just like Sharon's like, like first day. The first day. Okay, we need a little clarification. So for those that don't know who are listening, Sheridan is a walk-on, legendary walk-on, throws down like no. Sheridan oh. Shane. Shout him out. That's so much the homie. serious hops. What are pad slides? What what did you guys have to do? This is Sharnhorse punishment or Yeah, so we, it it started it started, we just snaked the dome where you snake the dome and run yeah, together. But we weren't close enough, so you can hear him yelling from the far end, like, stay up, stay up. Guys weren't staying up. There's a big gap. So if there's any gap, he gets pissed, whatever. So yeah. we come back. We're just like, oh, this is whatever. Like, we're, it's just a warm-up. We get down. He's like, all right, on the line. Start doing sit-ups, man. And we just had to do 25. Well, they then, were group sit-ups, though, weren't they? Like, yeah, it was like so you had, hold, you had to hold. Like, you had to hold. No, yeah, you had to hold your thing. And if you weren't holding your arms, and if not, everybody was counting, he would restart. So we'd get to, like, 20. And he'd be like, restart. And then we go one. And he'd be like, no, restart. No one's counting. And they'd be like, then we get to 10. Like, restart. Like, we did like 500, literally 500. And then we did push ups, same type of thing. And then he, we get done and he's like, egg, everybody go grab a pad. And we're all like looking around, like, grab a pad. Like, what are we about to do? Hit each other? Like, have fun? Like, just yelling at us. <laughs> Enjoy ourselves. Tells us to get on the sideline. So we are on the sideline of the football field in the dome and we have to slide the pads on the ground sideline to sideline sideline to sideline and we did no. and and it, it was getting to the point like yeah you're stopping like every 10 yards because your your upper That's body is burner, right? that and your shoulders too because you're just pressing you're down. really just pressing and oh, so yeah. we did like 15 of them we're dead and then he's like you got a race to get out and then, I, oh I, yeah, yeah. I got last? I got paired with Nato <laughs> first, so I was like, "Let's go! I'm out of here! I'm going as hard as I can to get out." But yeah, I think he paired me with with DG. I, I had no chance in that. Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, because Der, like Jeremy could run for days. Like he days. never got tired. Like I was, uh, he, I had him first. I was like, "Yeah, I might, I might, I might slow up on this one. I'll, 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 I'll save my energy for the second one." <laughs> I'm not gonna get this one. I'm gonna hold my energy. Man, those Smart. days, man. You guys, that was a good team, though. Like I'm, now that you're talking about, like Deremy, you, KB, Jeff Ledbetter, Steve. Like you guys were. Did you make it, well, Landon? When you were playing, well, did you make it to the championship? Your that was that was right it, after you. Yeah, like, our sophomore year. Was, yeah, my our sophomore. sophomore my, my sophomore year, your senior year, was yeah. probably our probably the best team I played with at Idaho. We that just, was probably our best one. We just choked in the playoff. We choked in the tournament too. I still remember the play. I do too. I, I was, I was oh underneath the hoop God. and I watched you. I was like underneath the hoop and the ball got poked perfectly to that. You poked it, didn't you? I poked it from behind. I choked the ball yeah. from behind and, and it, it went right to like, I think it was, I think it might have um, been Bo Barnes or, no, some, it, or it was it, like Hans. It, it was Hans. Hans. Short that's corner. Bad that we were, that's how you know we remember that play. That one hurt. I still remember <laughs> that. And we just beat him by 20. Like, that's what pissed me off, man. We have beat the. This is Hawaii, right? Them. Hawaii yeah. in the yeah. WAC tournament. And who didn't play? Their shooter with Decay Johnson didn't play, right? Or Johnson uh, Thomas. Or the yeah, the the shooter the shooter didn't play. He was sick, and then Johnson Thomas fouled out like super quick in that yeah. game. And, and we we, still, oh we blew God. it, man. And that was our team. I tell people like we had legit bigs. We had Jim and KB who were unbelievable. We had guards, Jeremy, you, 
Connor was into Connor coming was into his own, bench. coming into his own, and then me. Like our team was so well put together. We beat Oregon State that year. Like we had like a legit team that could have made it to the tournament, and then like possibly beat a team in the tournament. And it was yeah. just like still look back on it, but that was a fun year for sure. And what people don't even remember is like after we lost in that tournament, we actually played uh, what Santa Barbara with like yep. two legit pros and beat Whooped them at them. home. Whooped yeah, like up. what is it? Orlando Johnson and James Nunley, who were like, yep. like James Nunley's still playing. Hell, we just played against him actually the other day. <laughs> Did you? Know Orlando, crazy. Yeah, Orlando Johnson played. He was like drafted in the NBA. Yeah, like that's the thing most people don't know. But yeah, we definitely, we definitely choked that game off. Yeah, and it's it's so hard to get back to that point as a program too. Like at Idaho, at mid-major schools, it's not easy to continue to recruit good players. And like we've seen, you know, the men's program is is not where it was. And like obviously, everybody's working really hard to try and get it back up to where it is. So respect the effort, but it's so tough when you have like those years and you, you know, you want to make the most of them. But I guess you just take lessons and. And move on. But I am curious, Landon, what is something that was like one of the toughest things after college? Like, and I joke about how we put on some pounds. Like, I was like the garbage disposal of my team. So, like, we would be at dinner and like everybody who didn't want their food would pass it down to me, serious, and I would eat all of it. And now I realize like you can't do that anymore because you're not practicing three hours a day. What was like the biggest transition from you, like post college? Because you're still playing, which is cool. But like post college athlete, you, we don't work out that hard anymore. Oh, I definitely don't. I mean, my coach, our coaches here will tell you that. They several will tell you you got to lay off eating all the, everything. You know, it's tough. I'll be honest with you on the road, it's so tough. Like we're in Atlanta right now, and all I'm thinking is like I can get some soul food somewhere. You know, that you can't get in DC. But I think the hardest thing is like once you're done in college, it's like, man, what do you really want to do next? You know, because at times, like as athletes, and I'm sure you know, like you know, being that I was a broadcasting major basically like you kind of need to do something with broadcasting like right after or during the time you're there and i did absolutely nothing with it but my degree is in journalism you know what i mean and even i still remember to this day telling my parents like your degree and it's like you need to have an internship but most people don't yeah. do internships that are darn in getting college credit you know so the hardest part is really trying to figure out like what you want to do you know, and how you go about doing it. I think that's the hardest. That was the hardest part for me. And that first year out, that was rough because, you know, you're really thinking, like, I still want to play, but how do I also position myself for something else too, you know, without basically having that avenue to go to? That was probably the hardest thing for sure. And it's so tough because, like, and I think part of this, like, why Stephen and I wanted to start this podcast, part of it, is like giving some advice to people who have had those struggle years. Cause like you're 21, 22, now 23, 24, 25, 26 ish, still if to 29, like 30, 40s. Um, y'all are, like, are like babies. Y'all are babies. I got through, I turned 30 <laughs> in like yeah. two weeks. So oh, that's right. it's coming on me quick. Jeez. But like that identity crisis post-college is so real. And like so many people have reached out to me of like, I'm so glad you guys are talking about this because it's you, you are a basketball player for so long. You're an athlete for so long. And then when you switch to something else, whether it be you continue to play pro or like eventually everybody hangs up the shoes and starts to coach or starts to get into their career. But you always look at other people's paths and like compare what you're doing to other people and like well they're already there they're already doing this like why am i not doing that or like why don't i know what i want to do it's such a struggle and you know it's interesting you know i'm gonna give a shout out to my fiance jenny nanini 
Yes. So like after, you know, I got done with college, she was like, she was honest with me. She said, you know, like you're in a different point now than you're used to. Like you're so used to being the athlete that gets recruited because of your skills. Like now you have to be able to market yourself to give people a reason to hire you, you know? Mm. And I think that was like, when she said like that hit me pretty real because, you know, I was just so used to, I'm not going to say being given everything. Cause like everybody just wants you as a player, but like yeah. now it's like, you know, how do you help some, how does, what makes you different than anybody else to get a certain job, you know, like, and so that helped me out a lot too. That's huge. And it's something you just have to like kind of suck it up and face it. Like everything is planned out for you as an athlete, everything, every part of your day is scheduled and to like figure out you, once you leave that, Oh, I have to fill my own schedule. I have to go do my own laundry. (laughs) I have to cook my own food. I don't get to go to Bob's. Like it's so, I got to lift weights. What? And you don't have the same attention and like for guys going through the ego thing where like you're the big men on campus, like people know who you are. People care about going to your games and stuff like that. Losing that. I, it's just, there's so much that like after college you're not prepared for and your coaches cool. can do what they can. John newly was great with me too. Like kind of preparing me for that, but I don't think um, anyone's like fully ready to let it go. No, no, right. Definitely not. So interesting. Well, Landon, it was awesome to have you, man. I really appreciate you having a, you know, Idaho great with us. And uh, appreciate really appreciate y'all. you taking this time, man, for real. No, I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on once you guys continue to just kill the playoffs and beyond. Yep. Win that NBA Finals. Just kidding, yep. putting a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. On right now. <laughs> it is all good. Glad to catch but, up with you guys. Yeah, eventually we'll all be, once COVID stuff is over, we'll all have to go back to Moscow, go to the corner club. Do a live episode. I've never had had a tub or like one of those. I've never had that. You know what's crazy is I think think my entire time at Idaho, I might have gone to corner club maybe a total of three or four times. Serious? I was always always in Pullman at Mike's. Yep, he's a Mike's guy. Here's a Mike's guy. Is that where you met your wife, though? That, I mean, that is where. I, that is actually where I met my wife. Exactly. So. Oh, you're kidding. Something oh, came good from that. the Palouse, man. It's a good. Yeah, it's a good awesome. choice for you to come out here, man. All good things. Oh, I love knowing that. Okay, Landon, thank you so much. We appreciate you, oh, Go no Vandals. Problem. Appreciate y'all.